Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and for episode five of the podcast about all things Trojan, I'm going to take a look at the college football landscape and where USC fits into it with a guy who was an all-Southwest Conference linebacker back in the day with the University of Texas. After transferring there from that school in Westwood, he was drafted (laughs) by the then Los Angeles Raiders and is now a college football studio analyst for CBS Sports, Brian Jones. BJ, thanks for joining me today to talk about USC football and some other stuff. No, good to hear your voice, man. And thanks for that intro. I knew there was going to be a dig in there about my first institution, UCLA. Yeah, I was one and one against the Trojans when I was there. Hey, I had to throw that in there. You knew that was coming. Yep, yep. I knew it was coming. It was expected. (laughs) Well, if you enjoy listening to the Everything USC podcast, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, or TuneIn. You can also go to the website Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, find and follow me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Brian, any social media you want to throw out there for the fans? Sure, I can use some more haters. Why not? Twitter at Jones and for more. Jones, J-O-N-E-S, capital N, the number four, M-O. And that's the same for Instagram as well. Jones and for Mo. Very clever. Very clever. 2020 has been a crazy year so far, and its effects have wreaked havoc on the sports world. We'll begin by discussing the worldwide COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic that basically wiped out live sporting events for the entire spring, cutting some seasons short, wiping out others completely, and delaying the start of some. USC football's spring practice lasted all of a day, before being shut down, and athletes are just now being allowed to return to campuses across the country to begin preparing for what we hope will be a fall sports season. Ryan, how big an impact do you think the pandemic has been on college football so far, and how confident are you that the season is going to be played as scheduled? It's orca big, man. I mean, this is detrimental to a lot of programs, especially when you're breaking in new coaches. While Clay Helton has been there on that campus at USC, he's got new uh, defensive coordinator and he's got some other guys that are new to that staff. And when you get them coming in, you know, Todd Orlando and the others, they want to get acclimated with these players. Yes, they're scouring the film, but you can only do so much with the film. If you come in and you need to implement some new schemes and concepts, you need that vital time on the field. They're not going to have that. So they're really going to be flying blind heading into fall ball, if there's any fall ball. So to answer your question, I'm skeptical at this point whether or not the season starts on time. Of course, I'm sure you're aware of all the news now, seeing these guys test positive and some coaches testing positive. So we have to get our arms around the testing and the contact tracing, things of that nature, and really have a feel for what's going to possibly play out once season does commence. 
soccer's restarted over in Europe. You've got baseball looking now to get a season started here in the middle to late July. Basketball doing the same thing. So I think you definitely see college and pro football lean heavily on what occurs when once those sports are up and running once again. And then you can take your cues from them as far as how they handle guys testing positive. I mean, in football, there's no way you can social distance. It's a game that's predicated on knocking the snot out of the other guy. But now you're hoping that snot does not fly. And I hate to get a little uh, nasty on your podcast here, but that's it, man. You're all about those slobber knockers. And now we're dealing with a pandemic. So it's going to be arduous and it's going to be difficult the road ahead. But the more live sports we see, and I just mentioned two leagues that are hopefully going to be starting up, the better handle these teams and leagues can possibly grapple with how to manage this situation. I mean, I could foresee an entire unit being wiped out. You get one guy in the the linebacker room and he tests positive that he's got to sit and how many other guys have been affected by just that one guy. So everyone's pretty much flying blind right now and they're trying to figure this thing out. So it's already been a weird 2020. I expect it to get even more so. Yeah, and some of the schools that have had multiple players, double-digit players, either testing positive for the coronavirus or being placed in quarantine because they may have come in contact with someone who has the virus. You've got Kansas State, LSU, Alabama, and your alma mater, Texas, had 13 players reportedly testing positive or presumed positive for the coronavirus. And there is one, I think, silver lining to that. It sounds bad, but it's better to have it happen now when Schools are finally getting players to maybe come back to campuses. But what do you think about the fact that, hey, maybe we just get these out of the way as the students come back in. And once you can kind of get them maybe into a more controlled situation on campus and with coaches on them at all times, that it can lessen the possibility of getting the virus once we hit August, September. Well, I think this provides a roadmap. You're correct. Now we can institute a protocol, have that in place, and possibly gives us a roadmap moving forward. Okay, now I've got this bubble of players which we can pretty much control. We have an environment in which we monitor and we manage wholly. It's us. But once school commences and classes open and now they're in the larger university environment, we have no way of controlling that. So that's going to be a situation they will have to encounter as well. But right now, I believe you're correct. This can give them some idea how to control and manage the situation. But once that university opens up, if it opens up, and now I'm in classrooms and I'm interacting with students at large, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. And the NCE2A Division I Council has already approved basically a six-week ramp-up plan for the football season that will begin either July 6th or 13th, depending on if you have a week zero game, then you get the earlier head start on that. And it's basically going to be a bunch of workouts at first that are not voluntary. They'll have mandated type workouts, and then it'll progressively get bigger and bigger until, like you said, hopefully some summer practice, fall ball, getting ready. Do you see that it's going to go on as planned based on what we've seen so far? What kind of wrinkles might arise out of that? I think it's up in the air, Nar. No one has any idea. I mean, you look at Major League Baseball. They've been negotiating since end of March to get back on the field. And of course, Players Association is pretty strong. And their executive director, Tony Clark, and Rob Manfred have been going back and forth. And it's only to 
here recently to have they been able to come to any semblance of an agreement. And that's still up in the air. The players have to agree to the 60-game schedule. They also have to agree to the health protocols that are being ushered in. So I think everyone is they're flying the plane while they build it. <laughs> that's the best way to put it, because this is the unknown. This is uncharted territory. Now, there have been some photos shared via social media. As a matter of fact, one of my colleagues at CBS Sports shared it with me back during the big pandemic in the early 1900s. There were folks at games with masks on. So maybe that's what we're going to see and that's what will occur once season starts. But I just think right now we're in a wait and see mode and no one really has a confident a cocksure answer for what's going to occur. Yeah, as we just stated, having some guys test positive now allows them to get protocols in place and a regimen in place to treat these guys and quarantine them and hopefully keep everyone else on the team safe. I think Notre Dame had one kid out of well over 100 that test positive. So that's good currently as we sit here. And the other deal, you know, I'm hearing now, even though you're asymptomatic, and you test positive and you go through the quarantine, that doesn't mean that you're going to be good the rest of the way. I mean, you could be affected again down the road. So there's so many unanswered questions with this pandemic. And you know, coming in, we thought, well, if you're young, you're going to be fine. It's only the elderly who are going to have to deal with this in terms of the serious basis. And now that's been flipped. The average age has changed. I think it's dropped about 20, 25, 30 years. So Everyone, the scientists tasked with figuring out the next steps in this thing, and it's all up in the air, and we're just really tending to it and not making it up as we go, but you essentially are. The more information that comes out and the more you're able to discern from past cases, then you can implement new procedures. So the risk of being redundant, this is uncharted territory, man. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a case of we don't know what we don't know. And yeah. we are just trying to gather information. We're seeing spikes in cases across the country. And again, people were saying early on in this, earlier in the year, that, oh, once it gets to summer, it should die down. Well, yep. we're getting to summer <laughs> and it's not really dying down. So listen, man, I'm in Florida and uh, it's 89, <laughs> 90 degrees. It's humid all the time. And we're one of those states that is spiking like it's no one's business. And part of that is, again, everyone's gotten sick and tired of being locked up inside yep. and not being able to do anything. So they're going out, and especially in places like Florida, like Texas, that are loosening restrictions even faster than maybe the CDC wants you to, then there are the possibilities of cases being heightened and spreading. And so let's just say that, hey, things are calm enough that they're going to start the season on time, and they're going to try and play everyone's full schedules. But like we just saw with the women's soccer team in Orlando, where they had an outbreak of six players and four staffers testing positive for COVID-19, apparently because a bunch of them wanted to just go out to nightclubs and bars that have been reopened in Florida. What happens if there's going to be an outbreak on a team? Right. What is that going to do? Well, everything gets shut down again because you want to isolate those who are testing positive. And in this instance, you got a significant portion of your team is now quarantined. There's no way you can play. And especially now with the other safety protocols that have been instituted and all the balance you'd love to have on your squad where you don't have to play one guy the entire 60 minutes and you've got some 
reserves that can get in there and give those guys a breather. As I said a moment ago, what if you wipe out the whole linebacker unit or the defensive line unit? What are you going to do that? You can't go out there and hastily retool that particular unit by, hey, we're going to flip some of these offensive linemen over on defense who are not playing. It's going to be very difficult to man a football team if you have similar situations as the one you just shared with the Orlando soccer team. And the last part of this equation, of course, because this is always going to be a part of any equation when you're looking at sports, is the money involved. That's why they want to play football, because it's a moneymaker. And part of the money making is coming from attendance. And we know that there's going to be no fans or maybe very limited fans allowed to be in the stands. How do you think that's going to work? Do you think it's going to be on basically a region-by-region basis, a county-by-county basis? How do you think that's going to work about allowing fans and whether they should or not? I think it's going to have to be universal. I would hope so. And I know there's been bantied about, hey, we'll just have regional games. And of course, that's what the NBA is trying to do. How's everyone in Orlando and hoping these guys don't go out? They got to go out. You just mentioned how everyone was so tired of being in their houses and on lockdown. And that's why you see these spikes again, because they got out and they went and tried to identify some sense of normalcy and they found it. And then now we're here we are dealing with spikes in certain locales. So the difficulty is going to be You have a stadium half full, half is better than none. And of course, your revenue is going to take a hit. And you're right. This is a billion dollar business, college football. And so a lot of these athletic departments are already in the red. And I'm talking about athletic departments that make a good chunk of change ordinarily. And now with this on top of it, it's going to put a huge dent in their coffers from sponsorship standpoint. Who are we going to focus our message on it if there's no one in the stands and who are we going to focus our message on if you're at half capacity. So that's going to take a hit. TV revenues would not so much. And so it's going to come down to whether or not it's a universal directive that we got to make sure there's only a certain amount of fans in the stands. And I think that's the appropriate way to do it. You can't have half measures where part of the country is doing it and another part is not doing it because who's to say you know, people aren't going to travel and interact. So I think there has to be a consensus when it comes to that. But you're damn right. It's about the money. College football is big, huge, billion dollars. I mean, you look at the college football playoffs, you got what, three games, semifinals and the final, and those three games generated upwards of $700, $800 million in revenue. So it's huge business. And these sports, especially football, and in some instances basketball, depending on which institution you're discussing, they subsidize all the other sports on campus. That's why you've seen some schools have to jettison certain sports. So this is going to hurt. It's already hurting. And those schools who were dealing with their business models being in the red prior to this pandemic are really feeling it as we now try to navigate it. I would tend to agree with you. I would like to see a consensus, but just knowing the NCAA and how the conferences are all separate from each other and want to do their own thing, I think we're going to see the SEC have like 50% fans and maybe the Pac-12 have maybe zero fans. I think it could easily be a situation like that, but we will see. No, you're right. Considering all the autonomy that's taking place in college football, especially now with the Power Fives, and you're correct. There may be a different way of moving forward depending on which conference that we're talking about. But as of now, the season is planning on starting on time. And again, we might be having a discussion in two months that's saying differently. We shall see. (laughs) Right. 
If you enjoy listening to the Everything USC podcast, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn, all of your favorite podcast directories, or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Find us on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me directly, if you want to hit me up with a question or comment about USC, go to Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Brian Jones, my guest today, college football analyst for CBS Sports. What's some social media the fans can hit you up on? Jones and for more. That's on Twitter and IG, and that's J-O-N-E-S, capital N, number four, M-O. Jones and for more. I'm Sam Farber, host of USC Trojans Wrap-Up on the USC Trojans Radio Network, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. Let's now look back at what was a disappointing 2019 USC football season that ended with a loss to Iowa in the Holiday Bowl and followed up by the lowest-ranked incoming recruiting class that the Trojans have ever had. New athletic director Mike Bone made the unpopular decision to retain head coach Clay Helton, who remains on the hot seat. BJ, USC football has always been a brand name, but what was the status of that brand coming into 2020? Well, just go back to last year, and we knew it was going to be, from a national standpoint, it was going to be a significant season for Clay Helton to navigate, and the heat was on. I mean, he was on the hottest seats in all of college football, and of course, coming off five and seven, and then they end up going eight and five. I picked them to win that old game, the Holiday Bowl versus Iowa. I thought they pretty much being in your backyard, you're down in San Diego, but I thought they were playing some good ball down the stretch. And Keaton Slovis proved that he's legit, man. What a wonderful season that young man had. Tough as nails. And the fact that they lost that ball game, I was surprised. And now Clay Helton getting to keep his job, getting a new lease on life, that was a surprise to a lot of us also, but I think Mike Bond coming in and decided, hey, I need to come and sit and watch for a year and then I can have a more informed uh, opinion on what's needed for this football program. So Clay Helton definitely benefits from that. Now he shakes up his staff. He brings in a Todd Orlando who's let go of my alma mater, University of Texas. Now Todd Orlando, I think the knock on him last season was the fact that you know, he's got his schemes and he's got uh, concepts that he wants to play. And they pretty much played him pretty well to the tune of a Sugar Bowl victory over Georgia two seasons ago. But not this past year when all the injuries mounted there, you didn't see any adjustments. And I saw kids, even though they were young, making the same mistakes week in and week out. So the knock on Coach Orlando was, hey, quit banging your head up against the wall and come up with something different for these guys to play. You don't have the necessary pieces nor the knowledge. These guys don't possess the knowledge and the experience to run what you ideally would love to employ, so you have to adjust. And I think that's the mark of a great coach, those who can come in and say, okay, this is my core philosophy. This is what I made my name on running a certain scheme or certain offense or defense, but yeah, I don't have those pieces, so you know what? We're going to have to adjust here. How about we pare this thing down and we just go back to the basics and play base football? And then see that type of uh, mindset take hold last year at the University of Texas. And I still think he's got a wealth of knowledge as a defensive coordinator, but sometimes you have to step back and just say, hey, we're going to play base football, man. Just go out here and get after him. And we'll see if he can affect change there at USC. Oddly enough, I saw a stat 
Nara about USC and all the talent that they are able to amass there. And you're in a hotbed right there in Southern California. Their defense has not ranked better than fifth in the last, what, four or five years? That's amazing to me. I could not believe that stat. They have been no better than fifth in the last, I think it's the last four years. So he's coming in, and if he can change that in a significant fashion, maybe this team rolls. And they got a ton of people coming back. I believe the entire defense is returning. So with that coming in and the fact now there's been no spring ball, will that give them a little freedom and provide them a little leeway the fact that he wasn't able to come in, uh, Tyler Orlando, and implement his packages from a defensive standpoint, does that buy him some time? I don't know. But Clay Helton definitely needs to do better than 8-5, and five, and they need some double-digit wins this year. Yeah, I mean, Todd Orlando is known for being aggressive, liking the blitz, and I think that'll play well with the talent that's at USC. Like you mentioned, almost everyone coming back with that defensive unit. But Honestly, it's going to be tough to say because, like you said, there was basically no spring practice. We're going to see how this summer practices work out and everything like that. But it's going to be interesting because he is known as a guy who goes to a new job, kind of does well early on, and then things maybe fade away. We're going to see how that works out this year. Now, what he has helped out on in a big way is recruiting. And as bad as the 2020 class is perceived to be, the 2021 class looks extremely promising based on the commitments that USC has already received. Todd Orlando's getting a lot of credit for that. We're getting some Texas kids to commit. And also, hiring away Dante Williams from Oregon was a huge factor in turning around recruiting, in my opinion. Well, Dante, they had a heck of a defense there in Oregon a season ago, and he had a heck of a secondary. He was manning, and they're going to be good back there on that side of the ball and in that unit again there in Eugene. So you're right. Clay Helton went out and said, hey, we need to restock the coverage here, and he got two excellent recruiters in Orlando and Coach Williams. And so you should expect, and you're already seeing the fruits of their labor on the recruiting trail. So that's a good sign right there when you are, even though you're not – having the seasons that you're accustomed to seeing there at USC that the recruits are buying in and it's because of this new blood that the staff has been infused with. They are taking hold. That's resonating on the recruiting trail. So that's a positive first step. And again, with no spring practices to talk about, recruiting for the future has been kind of the biggest college football news out there. So the fact that SC has been doing well in getting these commitments is allowing for some positive buzz around the Trojans program. But again, like I always say about recruiting, until they actually have a signed letter of intent, (laughs) commitments mean nothing. Right, BJ? Right, right. (laughs) Especially in this day and age, man. These cats, they'll flip on you in a moment's time. So you got some, they're saying yeah right now, but you're right. Once they sign on that dotted line, you can rest assured you got them in the fold. So we'll really know more about SC's recruiting efforts when we get into December for the early signing period, and a lot of it may be based on how well USC does in the season. So let's talk about the outlook for the 2020 season, assuming it all goes off as planned. We got to start with the first game of the season. It's supposed to be on September 5th, a big showdown in Jerry World at AT AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas against the Alabama Crimson Tide. I was there a few years ago for that very same matchup in that very same stadium. And based on that, even without the coronavirus, I was not going to return to Arlington to watch this year's game. 
But maybe the fact that there has been a global pandemic can even things out. I don't know. I've been trying to look at it as a positive thing. But BJ, let's go through the schedule beginning with that Alabama game. Well, Alabama, as always, is going to be difficult. And you're right. You remember a couple of years ago, that's when Jalen Hurts really announced himself. He got some run in that ball game and became the starter after that. Will we see the same thing occur here? Of course, Mac Jones is the guy for Alabama after Tua Tungvaloa went down last season. Mac Jones, I thought, bailed himself fairly nicely. But you got Bryce Young coming from out your way on the West Coast, who is going to be a freshman for the squad. And will he get some run? And not having spring definitely hurts him, but will he get some run in that ball game and possibly supplant Mac Jones? I'm not so sure. I'd say the one guy that they have to watch out for, and this guy, is, I think he's the most electric football player in the game, and that's Jalen Waddle. Yeah, they lost Henry Ruggs third. Yeah, you lost Jerry Judy, but you got Devontae Smith returning and this Jalen Waddle. Wow, man, you're talking about tough to tame. This cat in the return game as a wide receiver, myriad ways in which they use him. That's going to be difficult. So this would be a huge feather in the cap for Clay Helton and this USC Trojans team heading into 2020, but they know it's going to be an uphill climb. Yeah, I think at this point, a lot of SC fans are just hoping that game is competitive, unlike the one yeah. from 2016 that I attended. So we'll go through it, though. Return from that game and open up at the Coliseum with the home opener the next week against New Mexico. They'll travel to the farm, then play ASU at home. A Friday night game on the road in Utah. That could be very difficult. A game against Cal in the Coliseum, followed by a road trip to Tucson, and then Halloween night in the Coliseum against the Colorado Buffaloes. And then what might be the most difficult closing stretch for any team in the country the month of November is this. At Oregon versus the Washington Huskies at Crosstown UCLA and finishing with another rival, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Yeah, those four, man. If you're looking at that, it doesn't look like there's a ton of wins on that schedule. (laughs) Well, that's why you go to big-time programs to play in big-time games. And you're right, that finish there, those four, and UCLA, even though they've been down, it's a rivalry game. and You know, anything can happen in those. So, man, that's going to be a difficult schedule. Oregon's breaking in a new quarterback. We'll see who that's going to be. As I mentioned a moment ago, they've got a ton coming back on the defensive side of the ball. Washington, new head coach with Jimmy Lake. We'll see what happens with their quarterback situation. Jacob Easton now has taken his ball to the NFL rank. So, But Washington is always tough, man. But at least you get them at home. And Notre Dame, they've got their entire offensive line returning this season. And, of course, they've got a three-year start in, in book at quarterback and some good pieces coming back on the defensive side of the ball as well. That's going to be tough for USC. And you mentioned Arizona State and Utah back-to-back. Utah is always tough. Seems like USC's always had their number, except for Sam Darnold, that first game he started, which they should have won. USC should have won that. Yeah. <laughs> and then they had all the fumbles and the turnovers in that ball game. And Stanford, we'll see if they can bounce back a whole host of injuries a season ago there. But you love schedules like this because you want to play big-time football, and that's what this is, a big-time football schedule. And, you know, 8-5 and five last year, that's just not going to cut it. That's improvement from the prior season, from 2018. But you got to get those double digits, man. If you're going to stick around, you have to beat your rivals, and you have to win double digits at a place like USC. So I'm going to ask you to play prognosticator here. What would be considered a successful season for USC? And then the second part is, at the end of the season, is Clay Helton keeping his job? They need to be at least 10-2. and They have to get to that benchmark of double digits. So 10-2 and is successful for them. 
regular season. We'll see what happens in the bowl game. But regular season, you got to be at least 10 and 2. And if they do that, and the defense rebounds, plays better. Under Todd Orlando, I believe Clay Helton will return. But they have to win at least 10 during the regular season. And they have to win one of those big games, whether it's Notre Dame, even, you know, Arizona State, they stepped up their play under Coach Herman. But they've got to win, you know, win that Notre Dame ball game, and I think you'll be fine. That coupled with 10 wins, yeah. I think a lot of USC fans, again, would kill for 10 wins if you told us we're getting 10 wins this year. So we're going to see how that goes. But in some other positive news for the program, USC was finally allowed to end its disassociation of running back Reggie Bush after 10 years. The NCAA penalty at first was supposed to be a permanent ban. They finally have eased up on that rule, which is, again, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think it's a terrible rule to have to disassociate themselves from someone, regardless of whether it's USC and Reggie Bush or any other situation. But he's finally welcome back to campus, welcome back to the fold. And I think every USC Trojan fan remembers what Reggie Bush did at USC and is thrilled with that news. Well, he was a phenomenal football player, and he's on a long list of great players that have played there. I'm glad my long words were able to get the better of him and Matt Liner. Don't remind me. Don't remind me. <laughs> back to back. I, I knew that I, was coming. I, I, like, you knew UCLA I, was coming. Was, I knew that was coming. Well, I, it just popped into my mind just now. Trust me, that was not premeditated. So, <laughs> But, no, I thought it was ridiculous, man. They treated Reggie Bush as if he was a leper. I mean, Really? And now you look at the rule changes and we got name, image, and likeness and all that stuff that is now on the books and allowed. I thought it was ridiculous what they did to him. I said it then. I said now there's no way I would have given that trophy back, that Heisman trophy. No way in hell you're getting my Heisman trophy. I went out there and I balled and I earned that Heisman trophy. So that bothered me that he decided to give it back. I hope it's returned to him. But to say you can have no association whatsoever with your alma mater is ridiculous. And the whole vacating wins, give me a break. The most garbage punishment, right? Vacating wins. Yeah. We watched the game. We bought the ticket. We paid for the parking. We paid for the popcorn. We watched these incredible performances by these USC athletes. And now you want me to say it didn't happen? That is the dumbest thing ever. I was in Miami for that championship game when we smoked Oklahoma. I saw OJ Simpson in the concourse at halftime of that game because I was trying to find batteries for my broken camera, and there's a crowd around someone, and all of a sudden, it's OJ in the concourse as I'm trying to find a place, which, by the way, there was no batteries to be found, and I had a broken camera for the rest of that game. But the fact of the matter is, I was there for that game, and apparently that didn't happen. Right, right. You didn't go. You weren't in South Beach. You weren't in Florida, Miami. That's it. Yeah. Those are some of the just mind-boggling, baffling rules that the NCAA tries or hasn't tried. They have handed down, but no one's buying into that. And their business model is antiquated. That's why you've seen the monumental changes here of late, because everyone understands that it's just ridiculous how they've ruled over college football and some of these asinine rules. I mean, you can give a guy a bagel, but he can't have cream cheese on it. That's an extra perk. I mean, just the stupidity with some of these rules. And throw Reggie Bush in there as well. He deserves to be on that campus. Those guys, I know as a former player, you love to see the guys who made history come back and rub elbows with them and pick their brain and get mentored and coached up by them. And those coaches want them in the fold as well because those players get tired of listening to that coach. If I can hear from Reggie Bush, if I can hear from Marcus Allen, if I can hear from these other guys who were great players, they do some of that heavy lifting for your coaches. 
Exactly. And so I think it's nothing but good news. It's only going to be a benefit for USC to have Reggie Bush allowed to associate with the university once again, allowed to step foot on campus once again, allowed to go to the Coliseum, not just for work purposes with Fox Sports, but to actually go there if he wants to and be on the sidelines as an alum. And so we look forward to seeing Reggie Bush back involved with USC now that that 10-year disassociation is over. So if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, or TuneIn. You can go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. If you want to hit me up on social media, I'm on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. My guest today, Brian Jones of CBS Sports. Where can everyone find you on social media? If you don't want to hit me up, you can find me on Twitter and IG at Jones and Famo, J-O-N-E-S, capital N, the number four, M-O, Jones and Famo. Hey, everybody, Marcus Grant here from the NFL Network. Hope you're enjoying the Everything USC podcast with my longtime friend Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. Believe in Trojan sports and fight on. And now it's been a tumultuous few weeks in America following the killing of George Floyd by a police officer in Minneapolis. We've seen protests across the nation. We've seen citizens demanding police reform and an end to systemic racism. So we're going to get a little bit serious now. I had a two-part show with a panel discussion among three of my fellow Trojans for the last couple of episodes. But Brian, I'd like to give you an opportunity now to discuss your perspective as not just a black man in America, but as someone who is a prominent black athlete in the U.S. of what you feel about what's been going on in the current social climate. Well, we had some racial incidents when I was at the University of Texas, and as a team, we marched there on campus, and I am just bothered by the fact that now these players are having to march, whether it's the University of Texas, whether it's University of Missouri, and other institutions as well. The fact that 30 years later, we're still dealing with these idiotic, senseless racial bullshit. We're exhausted. I'm exhausted experiencing it. And I have experienced it growing up in West Texas. I experienced it in LA. I was a freshman. I borrowed a teammate's car. I was just doing a little sightseeing in the middle of the day. I get pulled over over in Hollywood. I made to lie down on that searing hot concrete, that sidewalk for no reason. And then I'm allowed to go. Another time there in LA, me and a couple of female friends were out, we were leaving, we get pulled over for no reason, hadn't broken any traffic laws and patted down repeatedly. I mean, this officer went to work on my undercarriage, man. I was like, what the hell are you looking for? Repeatedly searched my vehicle and found nothing. So I felt it. It's humiliating. It's emasculating. I have family members that have felt it. And all these folks who are protesting are seeking is equality and accountability. We talk about accountability. We've been talking about head football coaches, win-loss records, and things of that nature, and how they have to be held accountable. The players are held accountable. So why not those who have taken an oath to protect and serve us? Why is that an affront to them and those who support them? I support them. I fostered a program in Austin, Texas. I was on the board of directors of the Boys and Girls Club there, hosted a golf tournament for 15 years that benefited the Boys and Girls Club. And I also 
had an organization with my former quarterback, Peter Gardier, where we would foster interaction between the youth there at the Boys and Girls Club with police officers in our community. So I have friends who are on LAPD force currently. I have friends who are on the Austin Police Department, friends who are in the FBI, who are members of Secret Service. I have friends who are in law enforcement. So I am not ever going to generalize about our law enforcement. But what I will say is there needs to be a reckoning with qualified immunity. That's the statute which allows these bad officers to get off scot-free for murdering as they did George Floyd and so many others. So that's where I'm focusing the majority of my attention. After all the weeping, after all the anger, after being infuriated, it was time for a plan of action. I got to writing my representative, state representative here in Florida. I'm reaching out to all my friends and family members, those who have reached out to me, telling them, imploring them to do the same. We have to change this law and everyone needs to be held accountable. Under no circumstance in society is it equitable for law enforcement to be above the law. No one should be above the law. So that's where I'm aiming my focus. And if that bothers folks, and if they see that as a scurrilous agenda, well, that's just too bad. I don't see it that way. I just think everyone should abide by the law. Even if you're charged with upholding the law and you do not do that to a satisfactory standard, And matter of fact, you cross that line, you should be prosecuted just like others who are being prosecuted. And the pushback you always get in our is, well, folks are indifferent to Black-on-Black crime. No, we're not. That's why I hosted a golf tournament benefiting the Boys and Girls Club. I wanted to extract and expose those young men and women who live in those environments, give them something else to see, and expose them to a different world, a different environment. So I'm not indifferent to that. I've been touched by that as well. My best friend on the coach team I played on back in 1991 was murdered by a 15-year-old gangbanger. So I've been touched by that black-on-black crime as well, and I'm not indifferent to it. It bothers me just as much. But the difference is this. Those perpetrators go to jail. Those perpetrators are held accountable. We need everyone to be held accountable. Those are some strong words, and I could not agree with them anymore. Thank you for sharing that. And again, I think people don't seem to understand, and maybe this is changing now with what we've seen over the last few weeks, is that we don't know what it's like to be black in America if you're not black in America. I think that's the bottom line. Like, listen, I'm an Asian American. I've certainly been profiled or stereotyped. But when I get pulled over by the police, I don't fear for my life. I don't fear that I'm going to get dragged out of a car and searched for no good reason. So that's the difference. I think people need to understand that what you go through is different from what I go through, and we all need to come to an understanding that these differences cannot continue to occur if we want to have a just and fair and equal society for everyone to live in. Spot on, man. And I'll share one other recent incident with you. And this is when I was hosting my radio show, which emanated from New York City. Of course, I still do my TV work, but at the time I was co-hosting a national sports talk radio show with Greg Giannotti, Gio, who's now with Boomer, Asais and Boomer and Gio on CBS Sports Network, WFA, and they're in New York. And I'm driving to the studio and I get pulled over. Now I saw the police ahead of me, so I definitely signaled. I turned on my signal prior to changing lanes. They pulled me over anyway. 
and the officer comes to my car and I just wasn't having it that morning there. It was 5 a.m. in the morning. I did six to nine in the morning. And I just said, why the hell did you pull me over, man? And he said, well, you didn't signal. And I said, that's bullshit. I'd signal. I saw you ahead of me, so I definitely signaled. He capitulated and went on to say, well, we couldn't see your new vehicle tag in the window. You saw a black dude in a brand new Mercedes, therefore you pulled me over. And that's the truth in the story. So it not only happens when you're in the hood, it happens when you're not in the hood. It happens on Hollywood Boulevard. It happens in Midtown Manhattan. So it's something that permeates our country. And if this America doesn't wake up and adhere to this reckoning that's ongoing, it's only going to get worse. So I'm hoping there's going to be a significant change in America. And I'll end with this. We're not asking for anything extra, nothing whatsoever. All we are seeking is what the 43rd president of the United States, George W. Bush, expressed in his statement about the murder of George Floyd and the protests. We're seeking a single nation of equality and opportunity. That's it. That is it. And Also, I want to talk about some of those things that you brought up that you've tried to do, the charitable work to help out. How can sports or athletes help to affect this change that we all want to see? Well, we have to have this conversation, and the conversation is happening. This is an ongoing conversation, and, you know, hit a four, this was avoided. We kicked the can down the road. So, in a sense, this pandemic has aided the racial discussion because everyone was at home, everyone was sitting still, everyone could see that video. But this has been plaguing the black community forever. There are hundreds of George Floyds out there. And so this one has brought just massive attention, not just in America, but globally. I mean, you see these protests and the movement, whether it's in Amsterdam, whether it's in London, whether it's in Germany. I mean, this has affected people in a global manner. So have those conversations. Don't shy away from them. And when you see something, when you encounter it, say something. I know there are those out there who don't want us bringing up every instance of racism and they think it's going too far. But no, that's why we're still sitting here dealing with it because we have pushed it under the rug. We've dismissed, oh, that's just grandpa being grandpa or so-and-so being. No, we can't do that anymore. If we're going to move forward, if we're going to be a just nation, we need to point it out when we see it. I'm not saying everyone go out and be racial police, but we have to have these conversations and we have to confront it when it confronts us. And I think we're seeing a lot of it in the youth. And I want to go into this because obviously we're talking about USC football, college football, but college athletes we've seen out there on the front lines of these protests. We've seen them leading voter registration drives and we've seen them even taking down coaches by bringing up some of the racist things that have been happening. We've seen it with the strength and conditioning coach at Iowa. We saw Florida State have a little bit of a mini uprising there when Marvin Wilson called out his head coach about a text. We're seeing it around the country. We're seeing it at your alma mater, the University of Texas, about trying to change things. Do college athletes have this greater voice than ever before, and are they using it properly? I believe they are using it properly to a certain extent. I have said they've gone a little bit too far in my alma mater, wanting the, the school to eliminate the Eyes of Texas song because 100 years ago, some idiots thought it was a good idea to sing it at a minstrel show. I don't believe the Eyes of Texas is inherently racist or oppressive, so I depart from them as far as that song is concerned. But I'm with them 100% as far as 
taking down Confederate statues, stripping Confederate names off of buildings. Hell yeah, who wants to be reminded of their tormentors, their terrorists that were amongst us during that time, during the Civil War? I don't want to be reminded of that. So yes, take it down. And for those who say, oh, it's our heritage, well, it's a heritage of hate. And if you love the statues so much, how about you place them in your hotel, place them in your backyard, do whatever the hell you want, but don't force them upon the general public. I do not want to be reminded of that. So these athletes know they have leverage. They have a platform. They have multiple platforms to have their voice heard. So they're definitely utilizing these platforms. But yeah, just like anything, there can be overreach and they may overreach. But I love what they're doing and I hope they continue to voice their displeasures when it comes to racial issues and any other issue that is causing them harm. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to need to see going forward. And it might have completely flipped the dynamic now as we're seeing players like Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State throw out there that, hey, I'm not going to play unless we fix something. And you see how quick a reaction that gets. And Mike Gundy's forced to, I mean, it was an awkward video that they put out there, but, you know, (laughs) they have to at least do something. They have to do some action. There's no kicking it down the road anymore. Well, it goes back to this being a business and a huge business and the millions of dollars that are associated with the game of college football. And you can throw that amateur BS out the window. There's nothing amateur about the dollars that are being generated. And you're correct. That video, Mike Gundy, man, looked like it was a hostage video. (laughs) Really, he he definitely didn't want to be there. It was so awkward on his part. But these young men understand that their message is going to get out. And they have myriad ways of making sure they're heard. And so I applaud them to use it the right way. And yeah, there may be some who will go about this in a less than ideal manner, but I have no problem with them having a voice. They're young and impressionable and they may see things differently, you know, at their age than we do at my age or your age, Nara, but they have a voice. And so let's hear it. And then, okay, let's have a conversation and see if we can have a compromise where their compromise is warranted. And there may be some other situations where you may be 100% right and we move in your direction. But having the conversation is the key. That is exactly right. Could not agree with you more. And now, before we go, there was some sad news to report for the Trojan family when we got the word of Max Turk's passing at the young age of 26. The former USC offensive lineman and a third-round draft choice by the Chargers in 2016 was on a hike with his parents in the Cleveland National Forest on June 20th when he reportedly collapsed and died. Our condolences and thoughts go out to Max's family and friends. Now, to finish it off on a more positive note, Brian Jones, studio analyst on college football for CBS Sports, it was great catching up with you and talking some college football and social issues with you. It was always fun working with you back in the day on the NFL Europe broadcast. (laughs) And it's been too long since we caught up, man. I enjoyed having you on the show today. Nar, thank you so much, man. I'm glad I could join you. And you're right. It's been way too long. So let's not wait this long next time, all right? No, I'm going to have you back. We're going to check in during college football season to see how good your predictions are about SC. All right. You got it, my friend. Stay safe, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'd like to thank my guest, Brian Jones of CBS Sports, for joining me today. And on behalf of BJ, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for Episode 5 of the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. 
the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as I end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.